Hi, welcome to season nine. We're uh, focusing in on the art and science of marketing, and uh, we're going deeper in this episode. We're going to talk about actually the art and science of data because there's just so much there and, and we want to talk about it. So I'm Mary Abazia and with me is Tom Spitali and Sean Wellam. Uh, who, Sean, why don't, why don't you kick us off with this uh, notion of what we're talking about here? Okay. Well, it actually is triggered by something I recently read, and it, it was, uh, and it's a common theme. You know, we've all talked about it, we've all heard it. There's now so much data. Everything leaves a digital footprint. You know, most of our systems are automated, they're online. We know um, to our cost the, the amount of personal information that we give out through our social media activities. Everything's measured, stored, algorithms dissected. Um, pretty much you can find much easier information about your business, about your customers, about your product performance and so forth. And while that might seem like a very positive thing from a marketing perspective, right, all, all data is good, deciding what to do with it, I think, is the art pine. We, we think of data as scientific. It's numbers. It, what can't speak can't lie. But yet, what are we looking for in the data and how do we interpret it and how do we sort the extraneous nonsense from the the pearls that give us true actionable insights so I, I think data is a timely topic and one that at first glance appears scientific but in reality given we have so much choice there's a very interpretive if you like artistic element to to what it is that you're looking at so that that was my waking thought this morning before the coffee which is not always a good time to have a thought but that was today is anyway <laughs> i think it's a lot like the phenomena of digitalization or digitize or digital people say we got to go digital and people say, we need more data. We gotta be more data driven. And it sounds great. And, and, and it, these, these things are, it is important to have a digital strategy. It is important to be more data driven and utilize this abundance of data that we have. But analysis paralysis is a real thing. And it only increases with the vast amounts of data that is available today. So when people say we got to be more data driven, we've got to be more data driven. I think our answer to that, is, and it's somewhat of an artistic answer, it's really what do you most need to know? What are the areas that you're looking? What are the biggest gaps in your in your in your knowledge? Because while it has changed that there is more data than ever before. The kinds of things that you strategically really want to know hasn't changed and will never change. And, and that is you're, you still need customers <laughs> to have a business. And so, so you still need to know better than your competitors about customer needs. You need to, to know how those needs differ. You need to know um, how you're positioned competitively. You've got to know what is the perception of your pricing. You got to know what people think of when they think of your brand. These are all things that you need to know and that data can help you understand. But I believe that the artistic part of this is that you create first a hypothesis and say of all those things that are really important to know, where are our biggest gaps? What are the things that we need to know with data that will catapult us forward 
in the things that we're trying to achieve, whether that be deeper customer relationships, you know, better top line, better bottom line, and then go get the data, then go look for the data, because that is the, the reconciliation um, and, and, and really the antidote for analysis paralysis. And we could probably talk a lot more about how to do those hypotheses. I think oh, you, know, you, you get this, this idea that data is somehow seductive. You know, you, you, you start looking for answers in data without first formalizing a question. Right. And that can be a problem. You know, it's, it's not so much, it's, it's data discretion. It's, it's deciding which bits to look at. But most importantly, it's why. There's a quote attributed to Albert Einstein, which means, of course, Albert Einstein never said it. He's right up there with Benjamin Franklin and Charles Darwin. If ever you hear someone say, as Franklin said or as Darwin said, you know just right there, he never said that thing. But nevertheless, this is the quote. And it was, if I was given an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes first formulating the problem and thinking of the questions before attempting to solve it, which seems a bit extreme, especially if the problem was how do you make a hard-boiled egg? You run out of time. But the point is that you should spend at least a decent amount of your effort formulating the right question. What is it you want to know? And maybe the start to that is almost like a, a, a knowledge inventory. It's like, okay, what do we know? that are fact. What do we absolutely know for certain? No ambiguity. And you'll be surprised that's quite a small group that you can confidently say you know for sure. Then you've got this other category, which is what do we think we know? Challenge yourself to say these are the assumptions, these are the beliefs that we've held because we know that that can perpetuate in businesses. We know that customers like this. We know that our competition will offer this. Well, do you? And that's where data might be able to help primary or secondary data, you can say, what do we think we know and how do we validate? And then finally, you might say, what's important that we really don't know? We do a lot of this in our classes, right? What don't we know? Why do we need to know? And most importantly, how are we going to find out? So I think as you start that process of formulating what data might give you, it starts with what are you asking the data? Don't look to the data for the answers because that's, that's a rabbit hole you'll probably never come back out of. Start with that question. Start formulating the question. Um, I think uh, as you're in that front end, you know, where you're deciding what am, you're taking that inventory, as you're saying, Sean, and um, Tom, you're saying the same thing about, you know, how do you create that hypothesis? The art side of it is, is managing all of the extra input you're getting from all your teammates and your boss and other functions that are saying, yeah, but we also need to know this and we need to know that. And um and so using that discipline of being able to manage all of the, the people that want to know everything, because you're going to the well to ask for the truth, you know, with your research. And um, it's called scope creep. And it's, it's probably one of the most dangerous things in this. And it's an art to be able to manage that scope creep so mm -hmm. that you do have a, a reality around what are we really going to try to accomplish in this research and, and is it actually three research studies we're trying to do let's do one first get those answers before we try to go on and solve everything yeah i, I, th I think it's also part of that um of, of knowing what why you're looking you know a really good question to ask yourself is not we need to know what our click-through rate is on a tuesday you need to then challenge yourself or others by saying why do we need to know that what is that going to inform? That's not to be part of the awkward squad and keep saying why and no, don't do it, but we should have a real sense, given that we have 
close to infinite choice of what data we could look at. We need to be very, very hard on ourselves and our organizations by saying, why, why do we need to know that? Because that will force you to string together a narrative. If we know this, then that. And that might be another question, but you've got to always be saying, why, why do you want to know that? Um, it's a powerful question. I think we, we get involved as an organization with our tools in, I, I dare say it, two distinct situations before research and after research. You know, be, be, you know, a lot of times what we do is somebody has a whole bunch of research and they're trying to make sense of it, right? They, and, 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 and we can take that research and we can populate, you know, some of our, our tools and see really a little bit more, okay, even after all this research, there's always still more gaps, right? There's still a couple of things that you probably really wanna do. But we have also taken the research that they've done and made it quite actionable because we've put it into a context that says, here's your segments, you know, here's maybe who you should target and here's how you're doing with them, you know, and here's what maybe you should do with them. So that's the after research. And it's ironic because the after research situation we're involved in, it's ironic because there usually is still some gaps. But I think all what a miss, um, understanding of what we do is a lot of times people will say, well, we can't work with you in your tools yet because we don't know enough. We need to go do some research first. I think that's a mistake because a lot of times when we work with research naive companies, we do exactly what we're talking about here. We kind of extract what the team already feels like they're confident about knowing as they run through our various tools, you know, say 10 tools, and, and, and you find out what you wish you, you knew, what are the biggest gaps, the most urgent gaps to fill with research to allow you to feel confident in taking a direction or a course of, of strategic action. And so, you know, before research is, I think a real great time for us to get involved because whatever research budget you have, then you can, um, you, you can point it and you can gather the data that really, really matters uh, in, in your situation and be working on the most important gaps that you have. And it's developing. I mean, that in, in a sense, a lot of what we do isn't data driven. Firstly, it's hypothesis development based on current state of knowledge, which tends, to, as we found through countless experiences, very close to the reality of the market because that's the nature of, of, of a business you know your market at some level with the right people in the room you've got a pretty good finger on the pulse of your market so you're developing a, a, a testable hypothesis and then you have choices because in some cases you don't need to validate you say we believe this and the experiment to prove that or at least to strengthen that belief is this and the cost of the experiment is often less than the cost of the research and you you end up in that you, you're actually doing something you're experiencing and you're modifying as opposed to refining intellectually not much in history has been has been figured out purely in the mind it's nearly always figured out through experience through trial and error the the the, the famous duo of of uh of experience that drives most advancement and and that's what we do and there was another thing i was thinking of what you said tom is this burden of proof concept often we find the people most in love with data believe that it contains universal truth that if only we had the data then we would win in this market if only we had absolute insight we would do that 
I'm not knocking absolute insight, that would be wonderful. But if you think that you have to reach this burden of proof, which is beyond a reasonable doubt, you're going to be looking at data a lot more than you'll be testing those theories out in the marketplace and the world moves on. In the legal system, at least over here, there's, there's two burdens of proof. There's the beyond reasonable doubt, which is for crimes like murder. You have to, the jury is told you have to be beyond any reasonable doubt that this person's guilty because of the severity of the sentence. In more civil matters, a dispute over a, 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 a unpaid bill, then the burden of proof is called balance of possibilities. And it's saying we just need to be more than 50% certain or 60% certain that this is true. And we'll judge on that basis because we'll never get to the effort required for absolute certainty. And it's a good process to apply to data in business. If you are in the sort of place where people believe you need beyond a reasonable doubt before you'll act, you won't be acting very much. Lower your burden of proof down to this reasonable um, a balance of probabilities. And even if it's just a, a guess, figure out the cost to experiment. You know, what is it going to cost to validate that guess? Um, you, you've got to set the burden in, in, in relative to the, uh, the cost and the reward. The risk and reward comes into data as well. Like three, three kinds of companies, really, Sean, building on that point. And, and it'd be important for our listeners to ask themselves, what kind of company are they in? And it's a very artistic place that is the sweet spot in this scenario, because you've got the one type of company that maybe is just a, a bit overconfident and feels like, you know, they already know all the answers in the market and they're just going to go and they're going to plow forward. They're not going to do any research. They're not really going to ask any questions. They're just, they're pulling other levers between besides you know the customer centric lever they're just going to lever they're just going to they're going to go forward so that that's one type of company kind of bereft of all data you got another company on the other end of the spectrum and we've experienced this type of company where they're not willing to move forward until they have that undeniable data they're 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 waiting to do anything until they are absolutely sure. And, and those, are, those are probably not the optimal place to be. The, the, the middle place is, is where you, you should go, you know, is where you say, well, I, they're, they're, I, I understand that I never know it all. I have this unending thirst to learn more and more about my market. And even when I get it right, I'm probably gonna be wrong in six months. So I'm gonna just keep evolving, but I'm also going to not wait until I have the perfect information. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to work on getting data to inform the biggest gaps that I have. And I'm going to do my best to get statistically significant data. But I know that that's probably an unrealistic goal in a lot of cases. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to be comfortable with moving forward with the best data I can get uh, in the most important areas that I have. That's the right profile. That's where companies should be. Those are the companies that we've, I think, all experienced do fantastically well in the marketplace. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that, that is kind of sad sometimes is when people spend a lot of money and then they say, you know what, we, we interviewed the wrong customers because they hadn't done that lifting the art side of it in the front that says, really the world's changing and no longer the surgeon is is making the decisions on those medical devices. It's a committee or it's it's insurance companies or something. 
And so being able to, you know, use a process to say, we don't know what we don't know, but let's take stock in that. And then based on that, we're going to have a much better way of assessing what things we still have gaps with. But getting that alignment up front um, saves a lot of research money. True. And I think you raise a really interesting point about the timeliness of, of data. All data is retrospective. All data is, is in a current state of decay um, and things move forward. And the inescapable fact is that, that all of your data is about the past, but all of your opportunities are lying in the future. And you have to take into account that, that things move as well. So to rely on yesterday's data wholeheartedly can make you yesterday's company. Wow. Tom, any closing thoughts? If you're uh, in a research company out there, you ought to think about working with us, basically because I have to be so blatantly commercial. But I think it's just one of the things that um, that is an underrated aspect of what a strategic marketing company with tools can do. It can, it, you know, uh, people think about companies like ours to create and build strategies and, and, and increase your company's capabilities to do all that. And we, we do all that. But I just think that the ironic part of what we do would be really beneficial for a research company to take and then go do research that really matters. And that is, you know, um, work with a company to develop those, what we wish we knew items. What are the two, the three most important things that you need to suffuse your strategy with data to make important decisions. And then the research company goes and does it and plugs it right into, you know, a powerful strategy. So that's my blatant commercial last comment today. The podcast was brought to you by Tom Spitali. (laughs) And uh, as always, um, we hope that you've enjoyed this podcast with you had a new or a different way to think about what you're doing. Uh, we have all our podcasts on theaccidentalmarketer.com and, and you can find them pretty much anywhere you're getting your podcasts now. So thank you very much.